Today we'll be in Revelation chapter 21. So if you guys would, go ahead and turn there in your Bible. And uh, if you guys don't have a Bible, that one in the pew rack, you can take that one home. That one's yours. Uh, we believe that everybody should have a Bible, and it's on page 1041. So if you would, turn to Revelation chapter 21. And uh, today, we'll be talking about heaven. And as we near the end of this series, I'd like to think of it as we're almost to the end. We're almost there. We're almost home. We're almost home. Now, I opened up with Hebrews in chapter 11 because like those, those heroes of the faith, we too are strangers and exiles here on earth. Now, the earth, it's, uh, and ever, as a Christian, we know this, that this is our temporary home. And we should feel that way. We should, and it's nice to have a place to go where we belong, but this isn't where we belong. As Christians, we belong in heaven. We belong with our Father. We should be homesick to see him. Because heaven, that's our permanent home. That's our forever home. That's where we belong. That's why I feel like as brothers and sisters in Christ, the fam a family, the family of God, it's, it, it, we talked about fellowship last year, about the forsaking of gathering. And us being here together, we can accomplish so much more as the body of Christ than we ever could on our own. And we belong somewhere as a body of Christ, and we belong in heaven. We belong with our Father. But he has sent or his Holy Spirit to indwell in us until we get there to see him face to face. And I can't wait for that day. Our eternal home, heaven is where we belong. Like it says in verse 16 of what I was reading earlier from uh, chapter 11 in Hebrews, it says, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, as I studied through this chapter, there was a thought that just kept coming through my mind. It just stayed at the front over and over and over. It just kept coming back as a prevailing thought. And as I studied through it, I started seeing all these awesome things about heaven and what's to come with the new Jerusalem. But one thing stood out above the rest that just stayed at the forefront of my mind. And that's that we are going to be in the presence of God, in the physical presence of God. And that to me is greater than any other thing we could experience in heaven, would be to be in the actual presence of God. Now, everything else, that, that pales in comparison. And the thought of seeing Jesus face to face, to actually see my Savior, the, the one who I speak of, who I spread the gospel about, the one who I place my faith and trust in for eternity, I get to see him face to face, and he gets to see me. I, that thought is just, it, kept, it gave me goosebumps every time I would think about it. And the thought of seeing him, it reminded me of a song from a, a highway hymnal book when I was a kid that we used to sing, and it's uh, When We All Get to Heaven. I know there are many in here that know that song. And I'm going to spare you guys the, uh, I'm going to spare you guys your, I'm going to spare your ears. I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to say the, the chorus. And so you guys can, uh, for those of you that don't know, it says, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. And I love verse three, so I'm going to throw this in there with it. Let us be true and faithful, trusting, serving, Every day, just one glimpse of him in glory will the toils of life repay. When we all <clears throat> get to heaven, 
What a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. I love that song. Love that song. And today we'll be talking about a a place in Scripture that has a heavy emphasis on heaven. Chapters 21 and 22, that's all it speaks of. And it's mentioned, uh, seven, heaven is mentioned 727 times in 683 verses in the ESV version of the Bible like we have here in the Purex. You guys don't know how hard and long it took me to find out that piece of information. It seems like every version of the Bible, I could get a heaven count of the word when I, when I searched it, but I could not find the ESV version to save my life. So I just threw in the towel and I, I texted Josh. I bugged him while he was on vacation. I was like, I got to know this because what I'm preaching from, and he found it and he told me what it was. Uh, but regardless, regardless of that, um, that it, heaven is a big subject. Why is that? Why is heaven such a large subject? It's because it's our final destination as Christians. It's where we're ultimately going to be. It's where we're ultimately going to reside for all of eternity. Why would we not be interested in it? Why aren't there more songs dedicated to that? Now, it's, it, Paul, he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, and by the way, as Christians, we should all be fascinated with heaven. He's, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as citizens of heaven, we should not only have a curiosity about our eternal home, we should have a longing for it. We should see this world and the chaos that it's in, how it seems every year seems to get worse than the last. Every election cycle seems to get more heated, more animosity than the last. Everything seems to get more amped up, cranked to 10 than ever before. I've seen all these TV reality shows. I can't watch them anymore because I get too, it gets me too nerved up, too anxious when you start watching like Neighborhood Wars and all these other shows. And I, I just can't. It's, it's so much. And that's what our world's becoming. It is just so cranked up and amped up and it just seems to be getting higher and higher to where everybody's just ready to snap at the drop of a hat. That's why Paul says, for, or why Paul says but our citizenship is in heaven. Now, uh, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says, For me to live and to, uh, to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I know Josh went over that last week, but I'll go over it again. I believe that Paul says this because he knows what waits on for him. He knew what awaited for him on the other side of death. He knew that heaven awaited for him on the other side of death. Just like we spoke of earlier, that his Lord and Savior was on the other side of death. But he also went on to tell him, it's better for me to stay here for your sake. But he would have rather have been with Jesus. Now, we're going to focus our attention on uh, chapter 21 of Revelations. And you guys are probably already there. Uh, when we're going into any new city... I mean, talking about cities and things like that. When you're going into any new city, uh, I don't know how many of you have been to larger cities or had tour guides to take you through a city, um, but I wish I would have had a tour guide the first time I went through Los Angeles. We, uh, I just got off a of post-deployment leave from Iraq, and I was coming back home, and I flew into LAX, and I waited there for an hour or two for my buddy from Dallas to fly in so we could go back to base together. He had his truck. He'd left it there, and uh, so I waited, and he flew in. We get together. And we didn't have a map. We just thought we'd wing it. We'd make it back to base. And I'm telling you, from two boys from cities this, or towns this size being in L.A. for the first time, we thought it'd be fun trying to get back. Mind you, this is before the iPhone 1 came out. So there was no GPS on our phones or anything like that. I think the slider phone was brand new back then. And uh, 
we, we went around for about 45 minutes. We went through some really awesome-looking parts, and we went through some not-so-awesome-looking parts. It looked like a third-world country in some of the places we were in. And to be in a Ford F-250 jacked up, riding around some of those neighborhoods, it wasn't that, I mean, we stuck out. And a gentleman had told us where Walmart was, and he said, you guys might want to go get a GPS and buy one from there. So we went to a Walmart, and we split our money on a $350 GPS, a Garmin GPS. And I thought that thing was fantastic. It just, it took us, it not only could take you where you wanted to go, it showed you where all the main attractions were, like where uh, restaurants, hotels, just anything that you wanted to go, and it would show you where the location's at. So we should have got one of those to begin with. Nowadays, it's just right there on your phone. You can just, hey, Siri, and she takes you wherever you want to go. Back then, not so, not so much. But uh, it, L.A., it was a lot different than what I'd heard about it, because I'd only heard about it and seen it on TV. And it was much, much different. I said, hey, Siri, and my phone's going off. Um, anyways, okay, but it really is a lot different than what I heard of. That's what she's saying. Sorry, guys. Part of technology, I guess. All right, so I'm going to keep on rolling. I, uh, I know that from what I hear and what I've seen on TV is much, much different than what I had encountered. Now, did it look the same? Yes. Was the experience absolutely different? Absolutely. It was completely different. Um, what, what I experienced there was not what I would have had imagined. And I believe that when we get to heaven, when we actually get there, from what we read in Scripture, from what we're told, it is going to be just that, but it's not going to be like what we'd ever imagined. It's going to be so much more. It's going to be so much more than that. And the emphasis is uh, placed on the glory that's going to be there when we arrive. So um, we're going to be talking about the new heaven and the new earth. Now remember that where we're picking up is where, where Josh had finished last week in chapter 20, where Satan is destroyed. He'd been thrown into the lake of fire. All of evil has been destroyed. Um, and we're going to pick up in verse 21, uh, where, we have a, where we're establishing that the world is fading. All right? So, I'm sorry, let me get down. Uh, I probably won't ever do this again. Usually I have my, my notes written out, and I'm trying something new this time, and it might be the last time because Siri keeps wanting to talk to me and it's getting me off track and it's throwing me back and forth. But uh, we're going to read, we're going to read verse 1 in chapter 21. So here we go. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Now this isn't the first place in scripture where a new heaven and a new earth is mentioned. It's also mentioned in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, where it says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. So what's being predicted here by Isaiah becomes a reality in John's vision in the book of Revelation. Um, why, must, why must there be a new heaven? Why must there be a new earth? Why? It's because this earth is corrupted by sin. Everything we look at, touch, walk at, see, it's all been corrupted from us to nature. It's all been corrupted by sin. The, the, everybody talks about how, how it's all going to end. It's going to be by nuclear holocaust. It's going to be by some deadly virus where all the volcanoes go off at one time in the world, and that's how it's all going to come to an end. That's not going to be it. There's all kinds of theories out there. I'm going to tell you exactly how it's going to come to an end. It's going to come to an end through God's divine judgment. That's how the world's going to come to an end. All these doomsday, doomsday theories, 
is not correct. Because everything's corrupted, God must destroy it. Our world won't be destroyed by any of those other things. you got to think, everything that we touch, everything we walk on, the sun that lights our path, it's all temporary, it's all fading, it's all going to go away. It had a beginning, it will have an end. Now, it's Colossians, that, that's why I think of the verse uh, from, that Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. It says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. The new heaven and the new earth, it will look completely different without sin present in it. Now, at the end of verse 1, which is interesting to me. It says, the sea was no more at the end of verse 1. Now, there are a lot of different ways that people view this. There's a figurative way and there's a literal way, the symbolic way or this is actually literally how it's going to happen. And to keep it short and not get too deep with it, uh, the symbolic way would be to say that sea is symbolic of sin. So to do away with the sea is to do away with sin. And then you have the figurative view, the, 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 the other, or the uh, literal version, which to me is the more interesting version of it. Or, uh, but uh, the, the, the view is that, the, that there would be no more sea. Now, there's, the earth is over 75% water. Our bodies are 90% water. So it's to say that we... Or survive, we have to have water in order to survive. We're the only planet in the known universe that, that has enough water to sustain life that every scientist can't figure out. So we need that to survive. Also, the sea could, is also a natural barrier. It keeps us from other countries. And I thank God for that because I can imagine where we're all connected. That would be awful. I, I thank God that we have the seas for natural barriers. And to say that it's literally gone, there would be no more barriers uh, we don't, and when we're in the new heaven, we're not going to have to worry about having water to sustain us because we have Jesus Christ, we have God that will sustain us. We won't be dependent on water. But that's, that's part of the view on this. And I like to think about John when he's sitting there on the island all by himself and he's looking across the Aegean Sea and he sees and he knows he's wanting to get back to Ephesus so bad. And that sea, the natural barrier is what's keeping him from his people, from God's people. And to long for that, to want to be with them, for, and to, for there to be no more sea, there would be nothing separating him from them. But those are just a few of the things, and it's not worth arguing over which view's right or not. I mean, we need to keep the main thing, the main thing, the gospel, that Jesus Christ is coming back regardless, and that we will be with him. But it is interesting, uh, nonetheless. We won't know, and I, don't, and, I, and I know people say this, and I do agree with this point. It all either has to be symbolic or it all has to be literal. There can't be one or the other. Where I fall, I'm not quite sure yet. But it doesn't matter that much. I mean, it doesn't matter to the point of you're going to drive somebody that you're going to argue and fight over. It's not, it's not to that point. It's not to that point. And we won't know 100% until we get there. There's no way any of us will ever know about what this truly is going to be like until we're there. So there's no use fighting and arguing over which view is correct. Well, I believe this. Well, I believe that. That's just it. That's what we believe, how we take it, how we interpret it. But it is something that will benefit from, as it says at the start of Revelations, that it will benefit those who read this book. And that's what we're doing. That's why we're going through it. It will benefit us. But it's not worth arguing over. Now, I'm going to read verses 2 and 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and, he will be, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Now, after God, he destroys the new earth. He's going to uh, send a, a heavenly city down to the new earth, as described in verse 2, as a bride adorned for her husband. 
That is the, that is the city that will be known as the New Jerusalem. That's the city that he's talking about, uh, the New Jerusalem. Now, again, my favorite part in this passage is at the end of verse 3 where I was talking about that prevailing thought that God will be with them. That's awesome. I just can't imagine being in the actual presence of God. Yes, we experience his presence here, but to be in his physical presence is, is above anything I could imagine. And we've, we've established that, the, that this world's fading. It's eventually coming to an end. It's not going to exist any longer. Well, there's a few things as Christians that's also not going to exist. It's going to cease to exist. And that list of things is in verse 4. And to me, that's one of, this is one of the best verses in all of this in chapter 21. And in verse 4, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. So I believe here in verse 4 when he's talking about he will wipe every tear from their eyes. A lot of people think that it's tears of pain, tears of sadness, tears of mourning. And after I've read and I've really studied into it, I don't think, I don't, I don't think that. I think it's going to be tears of joy. I, think, I really think it's going to be tears of joy. Uh, and some people think that there'll be tears because they, they'll be weeping as they face the record of what they've done. And I don't think that's the case either because Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I believe these will be tears of joy because when we're with God face to face in the presence of him and all his glory, I believe it's just going to be so overwhelming to actually be there. I actually made it. This has actually happened. The day has arrived. I'm with God. It won't be tears of sadness or anything. It'll be tears of indescribable joy. Because we will be so caught up in everything in heaven and being with God. I just don't see it any other way. It makes me think of this, and I thought of this yesterday. It's like when a, when a, when a man proposes to a woman, and she starts crying, and she says yes, and he's wiping away the tears. I hope she says yes, or she's crying because it's happy. I hope she's not crying because she doesn't want to do it. But then it hit me another example, and this one really, really hit me right in the stomach. You see these YouTube videos where military personnel, they'll come in early from a deployment and they'll hide, and there'll be a waiter and the whole restaurant's in on it. And they'll come in and they'll be in their, they'll be in their tux and stuff like that and they'll wait the, wait the table and the kids, one of them realizes that's my dad. And the kids just, just start crying because their, dad, their dad's there, they're so happy to see him. And what's the dad do? He wipes them away. He doesn't want to see his kids crying, and he knows it's tears of joy, but he's still going to wipe away their tears, and they're so excited to see him that he's actually there in the room with them, that it's indescribable. They can't put into words how happy they are to see him, that he's actually there, and that's the tears that I believe, that's the kind of tears we'll have on a much larger scale, that we're actually with our father. He's actually here. And he wipes away the tears from our eyes. Now, verse 4, it also says, Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We've all experienced varying degrees of all of these things, varying degrees of pain, mourning, crying. But we can all agree that everyone in here has experienced that. It may be on a much different level, but everyone has experienced it. But... We will not experience these in heaven. 
what a day will be when we stand with God and we don't have those feelings. We don't have to worry about mourning over loss. We don't have to worry about pain, physical pain, ailments, loneliness, when none of that is, that's all been wiped away. What a day it'll be. Let's read verses five through eight. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. That's so awesome. Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So who is the only one who can create something from absolutely nothing? God. He's the only one that can do that. Who is the only one who can raise the dead to life? God. Satan can mimic and he can twist and, and, and copy what God's done, but he can't create anything. God is the only one who can create something from absolutely nothing. And I think that is, is amazing. Only God can do that. In these verses, God says that he's going to do just, that he's going to make all things new. So that the new heaven and new earth, it's not going to be a, uh, a, remodeled, a remodeled earth or a like, it's going to be like new. The earth's going to be like new or it, it's going to be renewed. He said he's going to make it new. It's not going to be refurbished and it will be made new. In the new creation, there will be no death, no decay, and no decline. And I'll say again, in the new creation, there will be no death, no, de no, de no decay, and no decline. Everything will be new all the time. And I love new stuff. I don't know about you guys. I just do. God knows that about us. He knows we love new stuff. We get a new car. We get a new this. We get a new that. The, the kids, we got a new phone. They think that's amazing. Everything will be new all the time. I believe here that John was so overwhelmed, the next verse, <laughs> that he was so overwhelmed by what God was showing him that he immediately tells John, write this down. Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He immediately says that. And ultimately, isn't that what matters most? The truth. The truth. Not relative truth. What's good for you is good for you. That's your truth. I'm glad that works for you. And me and my truth, we're over here and that works for me. That's not it. There is an st absolute standard. And Jesus Christ is truth. That's all that matters is the truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me or except through me. He says, I am the truth. So the truth matters. So when God says these words are trustworthy and true, take, take that to mind. You better, take it serious. And he said to me, it is done. So when he's talking about it being trustworthy and true, um, it also reminds me of a passage, uh, well, I, just, I just went through it. So just like the, when we share our faith with others, when we're going around, we're spreading the gospel. God's saying, this is going to happen. What I say here in Revelations in 21, this will happen. These words are trustworthy and true. Whether people believe it or not, this is going to happen. John, write this down. It's like when we go out and we're evangelizing to others and we can tell them that Jesus Christ died for you and paid for your sins. All you do is have to believe in him that that happened and you will have eternal life. You can tell them words of truth. Whether they believe it or not doesn't discount its credibility. It's still true. It's still the word of God. And I, that's, it's the truth. So whether they believe it or not, 
it happens. So that's why I believe he says, write this down. These things are trustworthy and true. And that's what God's telling us in chapter 21, that these things will happen. Now let's look down at verse 8. In verse 8 it says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Tony Evans and John MacArthur, they have in their commentary something that I absolutely caught my eyes. And I wrote down what they wrote about this verse. Tony Evans speaks to this verse by saying, and I quote, Unbelievers with their unglorified bodies and unredeemed souls will enter a place where every problem from this life will be amplified without any hope of improvement. That's serious. If you're not a believer, if you're on the fence, or you say, I'll just get my act straight and then I'll come to church. No. Jesus wants you right now where you're at. There's no getting it straight and then getting to church. John MacArthur says this, and I quote, For believers, it, is a, it, it will be a universe of eternal happiness for, as, the, as, the, as they dwell forever in the glory, glorious presence of God. For unbelievers, it will be a terrifying place of unbearable torment and unrelieved misery away from God's presence. The choices men and women make in this life determine in which of those two realms they will live forever, end quote. So we see how serious the decisions we make here on earth really are. They put that into perspective of exactly the seriousness of our decisions. It is a decision. I don't believe in God is, has these people set aside before they're born that's going to hell. God has these people set aside that are going to heaven. When you're born, you're already predestined. You're either going to go to hell or you're going to go to heaven. There's a lot of the Bible that, is, that would be cut out if that were the case. Evangelism in, in and of itself, Why? What does it matter? Why would Jesus tell his disciples to go and make all the disciples in all the world and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? If they're going to be, if that's going to happen anyways. It's already going to happen. You don't have to. No. We're supposed to go and proclaim his word. So let's continue on to verse 9, where John describes the new Jerusalem. Verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a rare, most, or like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Sorry, I'm going to get me a drink really quick. And I, I, I love when it talks about the radiance. We'll talk about that here in just a second. All right. So John, he's getting a front row seat for what's to come. One of the angels back from chapters 15 and 16 that was in one of the plagues, that all the bowls at this point has been poured out. There's no more of God's wrath left. And one of these angels takes him to a great mountain so he can see the new Jerusalem coming down. And he's going, so he's going to get up close view of what eternity with Jesus Christ is going to look like. And John, he speaks to the radiance of the new Jerusalem that's coming down from heaven. The Oxford Dictionary, and I want you guys to remember this, the Oxford Dictionary defines radiance as this, light or heat emitted or reflected by something. 
Now, the new Jerusalem is radiant, meaning it's bright, it shines, it's beautiful, its radiance is like a most rare jewel. Now, think back to our definition of radiance, light reflected by something. This radiant uh, city isn't getting its light from the sun. It's not sunbeams reflecting off of it. It's reflecting God's glory. That's the glory of God that it's reflecting. And it's, it, it's the radiant city. And that's what it's doing. The new Jerusalem is reflecting God's glory. And that got me to thinking, isn't that what we're supposed to do as Christians? We're supposed to be reflecting God's glory. Is that right? Uh, think just for a second. Uh, it's not what God calls us to do. It, it's to reflect his glory. Our lives should shine with his image. Now, uh, I've, we've, I want to say a verse in, chapter, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We were made to reflect the glory of God. That's what we were made to do is to reflect his glory, each and every one of us. In our, youth, uh, in our youth group series called Shine, we're learning how to share our faith with others. One of the key verses is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, where Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And Jesus, he says, you're the light of the world. Do you consider yourself a light in this dark world? Or do you just blend in? Don't want anybody see my light? Because they might out me. They might make fun of me. They might ask me a question about my beliefs. I don't want to be a light because I'm afraid I might get attention for it. Do you blend in or do you walk into the room so that the whole room can see it? He goes on to say in verse 16, Jesus goes on to say in verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the, your Father who is in heaven. So we're to reflect the image of God so that everyone else will see it and give glory to our Father. Now moving on to verse 12, we begin to see what the holy city looks like with all its dimensions and meanings. And we'll read through verse 17 about the amazing size and scope of the new Jerusalem. So let's look and we'll read verses 12 and 14. It says, It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the, 12, and at the gates 12 angels. And on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the son of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, what's interesting to me is that verse 14 where it says, The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the apostle of the Lamb. And we know 12, 11 of those names. Twelfth, we know it's not Judas. We know 11 of those names, Simon, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot. So we know 11 of those names. However, the 12th up for debate. And I was talking to Josh about this morning, about who we think it is. And most people are down to it being Matthias, who was, I guess, who was put in for the 12th. And then there's the Apostle Paul. And I believe it's Matthias. I wasn't going to tell you guys that, but as me and Josh talked about it, it is because of the criteria that it meant to be one of the 12 disciples, the original 12 disciples, to be there from the very beginning of Jesus Christ's ministry. And he, knew, and he saw Jesus Christ in person. But that's just me. I could be wrong. I could be completely wrong. I could be an apostle I've never heard of. I don't know. But it's not really worth arguing over, but that's just my opinion. Um, but it's just interesting. It's just interesting to think about. Let's uh, continue verses 15 and 17. And the one, this is interesting to me, and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold, 
to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, as its width. And he measured the city with his rod twelve thousand stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He measured its walls one hundred forty-four cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. Now, looking at it, I see the order and precision that God has. God's not a, our God's not a God of chaos, disorganization. He's very specific and exact with his measurements, with what he says to us, with how we are to obey him. He's very specific. There's nothing left to question, nothing left to the imagination. And the, these measurements will measure out the new Jerusalem to be a perfect cube. Everything is the exact measurement. It's the exact same uh, length as it is width, as it is height. That makes a perfect cube. And just to take note, that's the Holy of Holies was also a perfect cube. Just, just a little nugget of information there. Now let's talk about the word stadia. 12,000 stadia is about 1,500 miles. That's approximately the distance from here, from Dequeen to L.A., to Los Angeles. That's one way. So you have 1,500 miles across, up, and that makes the size of the cube. Now, in 144 cubits is about 216 feet. Now, that might, not be, that might not sound like a lot for a wall that's 1,500 miles high, but in the New Jerusalem, there will be no evil. There will be no opposition to God. There will be no war, right? So, uh, and also, the number 144 is 12 multiplied, multiplied by 12. Some, and that could be a, a significant meaning for perfection, completeness, wholeness. So that's another thing that it could point towards. But either way, it's, a, it's very interesting. Let's move on to verse 18 through 21, and we'll see the amazing beauty of this city. Starting in verse 18. The wall built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates were made, were made of a single pearl, and of the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. So all the stones and gems named here are very unique, very pricey, and uh, there's no question in that, but why these exact stones? Why the exact ones that's mentioned here? Uh, that's, we can only speculate. John doesn't tell us. He doesn't give us that piece of information. But what we do know is that it shows a great importance of the New Jerusalem, how beautiful that it's going to be. It does show us a city of great value. Now I'm gonna, I want to wrap up this sermon looking at verses 22 through 27. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God and Almighty, the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. <clears throat> There's absolutely no darkness in the New Jerusalem. I thought that was very interesting. 
There's absolutely no darkness. We don't need the sunlight in there because it is, uh, God's glory will illuminate everything in the New Jerusalem for all of eternity. Verse 25 is extremely interesting to me. Its gates will never be shut. Its gates will never be shut by day. Why do we shut gates? Why do we close gates? To keep out anything that will harm us, right? To keep out anything that has ill will, anyone, anything, to keep us safe. But it says that its gates will never be shut by day. You say, well, if by the time it gets nine, I bet you shut those gates. Well, in ver- at the end of that verse, it says just that, that. It says it addresses just that. It says there will be no night. So these gates will never, for all of eternity, be shut. They will never be closed because there's no danger. We'll forever be in the presence of God. All evil will have been destroyed and locked away in a place called hell. When we was... Uh, it was Friday. I took, sorry, we camped. Some of you, most of you guys seen it, the pictures I put on there on Facebook, but we camped in the backyard. It's the first time I took him out in the tent outside in the backyard. It's just us. And we have coyotes and everything else. And he's all ready to go. He's excited. And we get in there and <clears throat> we get settled in and it got dark. It was about 9, 9.30. We'd been there for about five minutes. And he said, I think, I think we might have to go inside because it might rain tonight. And I said, son, look up, and you can see the stars. And then it dawned on me, I was like, he's scared. He wants to go inside the house. That's his way of being tough. And I, I said, son, it's fine. It's, it's, it's not going to rain. It's, it's, everything's okay. And then five minutes later, he just outright said it. Dad, I think I'm scared. <laughs> and I said, it's okay, son. I said, you know what the, and I swore I wouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyways. I said, you know what the most scariest thing out here is? He's all looking at me, and I said, these right here. And I showed him my biceps. <laughs> he started laughing. Well, that, that, he was good with that. He started laughing, and uh, then he started trying to show me his muscles about how he's going to take on a bear and all this other stuff. And he was good after that. He really wasn't scared, and he slept all night long. He slept better than I did. He got like eight hours of solid sleep. I slept for like three. But that makes me think of he's, he was scared. He was scared of the darkness. What could be in it? What could try to come in and get us? Then heaven, there's... We're all born with that. Till the day we die, we have that in us to some degree of fear and the unknown of what's out there going to get us. In heaven, that will be be no more. There will be nothing to fear where Christians are going. That sense of fear, that sense of darkness, evil, it will have been destroyed and will forever be in the presence of God and all his glory. And that's, and that's what is neat is it's not just a passing thought. We will always, for eternity, it will never end. And it's, I was thinking about that when I was also there with them. Son, we got to hurry up the next morning. We got to get up. Your mom's leaving. We got to get everything rolled up, put away, and time, time, time. We won't have that in heaven. There will be no time schedules. We won't be, we got to hurry up or we're going to miss the train. Train, wow, I'm old. We're going to miss the bus. We'll miss the plane. There's no, there's no time limits. I just, that's, all that's just absolutely amazing to me. And let's read verse 27 one more time, and we'll wrap it up. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, no, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And that leads me to the ultimate question. As the worship team comes up here, and begins to play. I want to ask you a question. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? 
Will you experience the wonderful joy that we've been talking about? Will you be there in God's presence? Will you see all the things that God has in store for us? I hope so. Because if not, you'll be like we were uh, John MacArthur and Tony Evans, the way they put it. Misery. It's a misery that never ends. And I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Now, there might be someone in this room that hasn't accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It may very well be you here in this room that you've been putting it off. It may be somebody online listening. It may be someone online that watches this years from now. They say, you know what, that's me. I've been putting it off or I've never fully placed my trust and faith in Jesus Christ. There's no better morning than this morning. There's no better time than now. If Christ came back this very moment, could you say you're ready? You say, I'm ready to go. I can't wait to go home. Or you say, Jared, I don't know where home's at. Well, if you, wanna, if you want to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I can tell you home is a place of indescribable joy, what we spoke of earlier. They would experience everything as a Christian like God has prepared for them. If there's someone here that says this morning, yes, Jared, I want to place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I don't know how. I'm telling you right now, there is not just me, but there are many people in this room that would love to lead you to Jesus Christ. They would love to introduce you to him. I'll be up here at the front when I get done praying. And you can come, you can speak with me. If there's a Christian here that you know is saved and you'd rather speak with them, by all means, go speak with them. Don't put it off. If that's you, when we finish praying, come please speak with me.